Good morning again. Welcome to Fellowship of Faith. My name is Jason Weber. Uh, most of you know me, but for those of you who don't, um, I'm actually the student ministry pastor here, um, and so I, I get to jump in here today, which is awesome. Um, so, Merry Christmas. Happy almost New Year. Right? What is it about finishing a year, a project, a book, a TV series, a computer game, yeah, that, that makes everything just feel right? Whether it's, you know, winning solitaire on the computer or, or finishing up 2017, there's something about completion that almost just settles the soul and makes it seem as though all is right with the world, at least for a moment. Yes? Yes? Okay. Um, Unless, of course, the TV series or book series, a book ends with a cliffhanger, and then, of course, it's the end of the world, and it's very frustrating. Um, Yeah, yeah, okay. We're on on the same page. Good. Um, But let's stick with the positive side of this, all right? Do you know the term mountaintop experience? Yes. Okay, I'm seeing some good nods. This is good. Um, And while I was certainly familiar with the experience, I actually was not familiar with the term until about 10 years ago when I started helping out with our student ministry. And it was there that we would use this term, and and, and it would really describe the, the emotional and spiritual high point usually felt toward the end of a retreat or a mission trip. But really, the term is much more broadly applicable, isn't it? For instance, it struck me, and of course, you know, I've been hearing this story for years. I don't know why it just struck me this year, but it struck me this year just how much of a mountaintop experience those shepherds must have had on the night of Jesus' birth. How they had experienced an angel just showing up out of the blue, which in and of itself is a massive experience, right? And then it announced to them the Messiah's birth. Fear not, I bring you glad tidings, great joy for all nations. The birth of Messiah had just happened. And not only that, it had just happened in their own backyard, in the city of David. And it just keeps getting, I mean, come on, right? You just keep going up the mountain here. They were personally invited to be one of the very first people to come and visit with Messiah. Wow. I mean, really, come on. Does it get much more mountaintop than that? As far as experiences go, I mean, that's a pretty good one, right? But I also can't help but think how would they have reacted? 
how do you react to the angel showing up? How do you react to that kind of news? I mean, the looks on their faces must have just been absurd. The responses, I mean, can you even process what's going on? How could they not have gone and shouted from the mountaintop, right? It's from Luke chapter 2. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Just a little snippet. And you got to think, I mean, that's barely capturing the emotional highs, the, the, the excitement, the, the grandeur of Messiah. And then I step back and wonder, how long did that excitement stay at that level? Now, the passage talks about how they talked, about, talked to people about what they had seen and heard. Understandable, right? But how did that amazing, incredible, almost absurdly high mountaintop experience translate into the days, weeks, months, years that followed? Initially, were they, were they checking in regularly, seeing if Mary and Joseph, you know, needed help with anything? If so, how long was it before it went from checking in daily to every other day to a couple of times a week? And then, of course, well, the whole family just ups and disappears on them, Right? We, as outsiders, we, we know what happened, right? I mean, they're, they're fleeing the insanity of Herod, right? But did the shepherds know that? I mean, the scriptures tell us Joseph had the dream, and basically that night, they're gone, right? So did the shepherds show up one day and go, um, there was somebody here, Right? Did they ask around? Did they go to the neighbors and go, um, just to be sure, do you know anything about Jesus and, and where the family might have gone? Did Joseph leave him a note? With nothing much else to go on, how did the rest of the shepherds' lives play out? I mean, how tightly did they hold on to what they had experienced that night when Jesus was born? Did they treasure it up in their hearts as Mary had? 
Now, like I said, initially it seems like they were just they were going around and telling everyone they bumped into about what they'd seen and heard, which would be normal considering what they had seen and heard, right? But how long was it before people started saying, "Yeah, I heard this. We're good. Get back to work. Go back to your sheep." I remember this. You told me this last week. It's fine. After a while, did even they start convincing themselves that maybe what they'd seen and heard was a dream? Or maybe it was a bad batch of figs, you know. As the years rolled on, did they just ease right back into regular life, into the routine. Now, obviously, Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot regarding the shepherds, right? Only God knows how the shepherds' lives unfolded. But my question to you is this. That's my string of questions... Does it maybe reflect how Christmas comes and goes for you? Does some of it resonate, for better or worse, with you? It does for me. Why doesn't the message of Christmas rock us to our core? And given the message, the joy of the season, given what it means for all of us, how do we hold on to that joy, that amazement, that mountaintop experience? So aside from metaphorical mountaintop experiences, there are actually a lot of literal mountaintop experiences in the Bible. Moses had, you know, some pretty good ones. Whole, you know, commandments thing, etc. You had, you know, the Abraham and Isaac situation, right? Uh, Elijah had that awesome one with, you know, the prophets of Baal and, like, making them look like morons, which they kind of were, so. Um, and, of course, Jesus himself has several. And there's one that always stands out to me when I'm talking about this kind of stuff. It, it, it's from the beginning of Matthew chapter 17. Now, here, basically, Jesus brings... Peter, James, and John with him up the mountain to a meeting of the minds between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Now, the meeting itself and, and what goes on with Jesus 
is a really big deal, so don't get me wrong. But this morning, I want to zero in on what the disciples were doing and saying for the moment. Yes? Okay. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright shadow overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Again, what an incredible thing to get to witness. What an incredible thing to get to experience. And it seems like Peter wanted it to keep going, right? I mean, he's offering to put up shelters. He's he's looking to settle in for the long haul, right? But just like in each of these mountaintop experiences, the same thing happens at the end of it. They came back down. And they got on with whatever came next. No, that's not to say the mountaintop experience doesn't have a purpose. But the purpose is not to stay on the mountaintop. We're wrapping up what for many of us is an annual mountaintop, maybe foothill top experience. Are you like Peter? And you want to pitch a tent, proverbial tent, obviously, in Christmas? What if every day were Christmas, to which the children cheer and the parents go the reality is that for for most of us by this time post Christmas day we're looking forward to not hearing Christmas music in every store that we walk into and on just about every radio station our charity toward our neighbors five bajillion light candle power um display, question mark, um, that runs all night long, you know, screaming its light right into our houses. Um, Well, it's beginning to wane. And the hilarity of the ugly Christmas sweater is actually beginning to grate, especially at the assault that my eyes have to tolerate as I look upon them. Can you picture 
the movie Groundhog Day, but like set Christmas Day, and that we actually would all be aware of what was going on. Oi. How long would it be before we would actually come up with some not-so-nice definitions of what joy is, right? I, I think maybe only a day or two, maybe a week if we're pushing it. And of course, I know that some of us here probably picture that as pure torture, right? Yeah, okay. But Christmas time is so amazing. And it is. Don't misunderstand me. It absolutely is. You're talking about the birth of the Savior of the entire world, of creation. It's incredible. So what's the problem? Take a walk with me down memory lane. My absolute favorite gum growing up, I said gum, gum with them. Growing up was fruit stripe gum. I saw a nod, yes, right? That's the one with the like multicolor zebra on it. Um, of course, growing up, they didn't have the like 20 packs, they had the five packs, or maybe there were six in there, I don't remember. Um, the flavors were awesome, so intense, delicious. At least initially, right? And there was the problem. And as far as I know, it still is the problem. I don't know. I haven't had it in a long time. Um, the flavor would fade. Like two minutes in. And then, of course, as a kid, what do you do? You get another piece, right? I mean... I don't even remember if I spat out the one I was chewing on or if I just kept adding and adding. I don't even remember. I mean, again, it was only a five-pack, so by the time you got to the end of the five-pack, it was still just a little, yeah, it was still containable. Um, and, of course, it wasn't long before I'd have, I'd chewed through the whole pack. Um, very frustrating experience, actually, um, <laughs> as I recollect now, right? Now, without getting too deep into the biomechanics of how taste works, did you know that the fading flavor issue with gum isn't so much a problem with the gum? I mean, it kind of is, but it, it's mostly actually, as I understand it, has to do with our taste and smell receptors. Once the receptor is triggered, it sends its information off to the brain, but then it takes time to flush and reset and be able to do it again. It needs a break. In a way, we, as a whole, work the same way. Can you imagine if we were pegged at Christmas-level emotions, at those high levels all the time? We'd just be so overwhelmed, we wouldn't even like, be feeling anything at all, right? God knows we don't operate this way. And thanks be to him, it's not something he asks of us. He knows it's simply not in our nature to be able to stay in that Christmas mindset 
indefinitely. That we need ebb and flow. We need time to take breath and get reset. So he gives us change. He gives us seasons and he gives us rhythm. Times of peaceful blankets of snow covering the ground, even though it's really, really cold out. Times of vegetation bursting at the seams with every, every color imaginable. Times of joyous, ruckus celebrations, which many of us will be experiencing tonight. Times of quiet, awe-filled reflection. And of course, there's all the times in between that's just the regular routine. The regular day-to-day. The mountaintop highs and the times to come down off the mountain. But it's the how we come down the mountain that we ought to do some unpacking. So with the students, as we get toward the end of a retreat or a mission trip, we, we, we usually spend time, you know, a, a bit of time in discussion, debriefing what the experience was, was like, what it meant, how it might change, or at least challenge our thinking going forward. Sometimes in these mountaintop moments, in these discussions, we can have such clarity about what it is that God's calling us to next. It's incredible. Perspectives change. Expectations change. We change. But we don't leave the discussion there. Because, well, to put it quite simply, feelings are fickle. They can, of course, be incredible sources of drive, of of resiliency, and encouragement. They can also falter and let us down. Now, the purpose of pointing this out isn't to to, to shut students down, right? But, But really to help explain that the drive that is felt in the moment, it's probably not going to last indefinitely. And we need to talk about what we can do about it. So for most people, if we're talking about the post-Christmas time mountaintop experience, you've got some people who, who finish up Christmas on December 25th and just jump right back into the routine. Spending no time easing back into the regular day-to-day. No time spent pondering the Christmas message. 
some of us will cling to every last morsel of Christmas, looking to hold on to that mountaintop view as long as possible, only to wake up and realize, wait, I'm at sea level. When did that happen? Oh, that happened a while ago. And they've lost any real sense of enthusiasm for what had just happened. But most people, most people will simply experience the gradual fade. The challenges, the commitments, the things that seem so tangible at the top of the mountain just peter out. They become less and less important and eventually, usually just get set aside. Given how the post-Christmas time mountaintop experiences look for most people, how do we hold on to the joy? Specifically, how do we hold on to it and take it into everyday life? As most of us return to our routines. That's the thing. Most of us want to hold on to that joy. But it really wasn't ever about holding on to the joy. But rather, as we make our way down the mountain, utilizing the joy, the feelings, the experience, building from it, using it as a catalyst for ourselves, for a world around us. Now, most of us already know that, that growing, learning, challenging, changing, it's, it's an incremental process, mostly, right? Especially when it comes to working our own faith. That big, you know, encompassing pronouncements of, of, of decrees and, and, and whatnot tend to, you know, fall by the wayside. If, for example, a person said, hey, I want to read the Bible more. Just a big blanketing statement like that, right? Chances are good that they're, they're, they're going to take some extra time for the first week or two, right? And then what's going to happen? They're just going to go back to the regular old ways, right? If instead they were going to spend, say, 10 minutes either after lunch or dinner, on every Thursday reading Luke. Now they've taken a small, incremental step, potentially toward lasting change. So consider, rather than just letting the feelings fade away, 
rather than just coming away from Christmas going, yep, that's another one done and done. Letting go of any insights, any wonderment, giving up on whatever changes God might be working in us. Instead, use that joy, use that wonderment, use that amazement for lasting impact, lasting change. That starts with taking a next step. Let the joy become your next step. So what are some next steps? Next week is our ministry crawl. Get the opportunity to check out all the ministries we got going on and the small groups that are going on. Maybe there'll be a small group. Take that step. Put your name down. Maybe you're looking to serve. Talk to Mark. Talk to Melinda. Talk to Shar. This coming Saturday, we've got Deco takedown. I like to call it the D-Deco. Maybe it's simpler than that. Maybe it's just having a conversation with your kids about faith and what it means to you. Maybe it's as simple as a post on Facebook saying, yes, I'm a Christian. I wanted to talk about it. Next week, we got faith challenges back. Maybe it's just checking a box to get it going. What would that small incremental step be for you? Would you pray with me? Father God, as the lights fade, as the music moves into the background, over the next few days, the next few weeks, Lord, help us to see the path down the mountain but in ways that are teaching us, leading us, guiding us to your next steps. Lord, for all those times that we've not paid attention, we've not given it time, not reflected, forgive us. Lord, for those times that we've ignored and even purposely let ourselves be distracted, forgive us as well.
Lord, burn in us. Burn in us with passion that lasts and lasts. And allow us to grow and learn. Allow us to know you better. build our relationships here all those around us and most especially with you in your holy name Amen Let's stand now as we confess Most merciful God We confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, Have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And may the joy of the season replenish your soul.